You're listening to Gone Mobile, your input and output for all things .NET, Mobile, and Maui. Welcome back to Gone Mobile. It's a new year, Alan, and I think we should start out the new year by tackling some of the toughest topics known to mobile developers. What do you think? Sure. I'm not sure if push is the most. Oh, did I announce it too soon? But oh, I'm not you sure gave if this them, is the yeah. most. Spoiler this is the alert. most complicated uh, topic. Or it's like one of one of the most. It's in there, right? Eh, fair. It's certainly got the most boilerplate for sure. Lots of lots of stuff you have to do from both the server and the client side. And another spoiler alert for everyone listening. Um, we're talking about the topics that seem to be the things that you try to tackle in Shiny as well. Why? Why is it that you you know we gravitate towards tackling these really hard problems? Is it because they're hard problems? Uh, maybe. I think te- technically we live in two different worlds, right? Like I have to deal with all the the stuff outside of UI, um, whereas obviously you're dealing with the UI. Well, I guess Essentials tends to tackle a lot. Essentials of does it, and I, I've had like a weird um, love hate relationship with some of these things too over the years. Like I I made a library. I don't know if you ever stumbled across it called Push Sharp. Yeah, uh, everybody's and, and actually. It. Yeah, no, it was it it did you know. It, it quote unquote did super well. And I say that because it was like not, <laughs> it was not a great library in terms of the implementation of it in many ways. But when, when Apple first, you know, we'll talk about the history of these things a little bit. When Apple first made this idea of, of notifications, like they had a, a protocol that you had to talk to them with. That was just, it was a binary protocol. It was horrible. And it, yeah, it was the worst thing ever. And somehow that like, I was a glutton for punishment and I had to make a library for it. And I, I really wanted just to make it work. And I don't know why I gravitate towards these harder things, but I feel like you're in the same boat with shiny a lot. Um, maybe not yep. for the same reasons, but your library was the only library at the time though, that I remember doing it for, for both right? It's for the Android side. Yeah. Um, the, the Apple side, like it was the only one, I think you even did windows, which I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and, and fun fact, um, when I made that, uh, I wasn't, I, I wasn't part of Microsoft at the time. I, I probably was part of, no, I wasn't part of Xamarin technically either. It was before those days too. Uh, and I made it. And at some point I remember somebody from a Microsoft Azure team got in touch with me too. And they're like, how are you doing this? Like, like, can we learn something from you? Cause talking to Apple is really hard and there's all these challenges and how you do it. And it was kind of like, yeah, this is what I do, but there's not really an easy answer to it. And that's kind of unfortunate, but, and it's evolved since then, right? We can talk about that a little bit more too. Yeah, um, Apple's evolved too, a lot. Like that binary yeah. protocol. I think it, they finally turned that off, what, just a year ago or something. Yeah, yeah. So it's all like HTTP based. And we'll get into like talking to the different servers and stuff. But I kind of wanted to dig a little bit in first into the history of this to an extent. Uh, I don't know what your first interaction was with push notifications, but I... Uh, way back in the day before MonoTouch was really taking off yet, I think maybe it was like announced or in its infancy. Um, but Apple, like they kind of invented the space, right? And at first they didn't have push notifications on their platform. There was no concept of that. Uh, they ha- Well, they had some kind of concept of it with email and, and they made their own email system, their iCloud email work with like the whole BlackBerry idea of pushing data to you when it arrived. Now I didn't use iCloud email when I got my first iPhone and I was really jealous because I used Gmail and I 
you know, really wanted that like instant information kind of a la BlackBerry world. And so I actually set out to make an app uh, in Objective-C even. This is my first iPhone app at the time that did the whole push notification thing for Google Gmail accounts. And so I made this whole server-side setup that, you know, you'd I would log into your account that you <laughs> gave me your credentials for, which is, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I didn't do anything nefarious, I swear. And I would use, like, the IMAP idle extension, and I would listen for changes, and I would push those up to Apple and, you know, make that come down through the app and everything. But I think that was iOS, was it 3 or 4 that they introduced notifications? Uh, it would have been probably 3, if I remember correctly, because the first time I started doing dev was on an iPhone 3. Yeah. iPhone 3S? Was it the 3S? Well, and they didn't, yeah, made, made 3G. 3G, there we go. That's yeah. the one I was looking for. And they didn't have like an app store at first either on iPhone, right? So it, it wasn't, that was still fairly, you know, new, I think, even for the iOS 3. Like that came out very, very shortly after the they announced the 2G or whatever the first one was. Well, you're going back in history. I don't even, I thought oh, yeah. for sure they had the app store with it, but you could be right. I don't think it was right off the bat. I think it was like, they were like, you can create these web apps and pin them to the home screen. And then the app store came out, you know, shortly after that. Anyway. Yeah, okay. We're, we're yeah, getting into the, the weeds store, with it a little bit. Yeah. Without the app store, there is definitely no push notification. So somewhere in there, I know I remember doing it on the 3G and I also did it with Objective-C, but I was, um, when 3G came out, it wasn't long after that Miguel started putting out Mono Touch. Yeah. So I was experimenting that right, right from the beginning because we were doing a lot of testing for the company I worked for. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. It was very <laughs> feature deficient at the time. Yeah. Well, and one of the things was, you know, the lack of push notifications. Right. And so if anyone's not familiar with the concept, like when you would make an app, you know, you might want your app to learn about things that are happening outside of the context of the phone of the app and maybe from a server, some other service, et cetera. And so Apple kind of decided, hey, you know, we don't really want every app well, first of all, you couldn't run your app in the background at all at first. Like there's just no concept of that. So even if I wanted to, I think maybe they made exceptions for VoIP apps or the certain categories like they kind of still do at the GPS time. I don't know if first. that was, yeah, maybe Is it was just location? GPS. So first of all, like you, you kind of couldn't do it. And then even if you could, Apple's kind of like, well, we don't want every app maintaining a, you know, a, a socket connection to some server on their own. And so they obviously at some point the idea was, hey, let's make one in the OS and we'll connect to our own servers and we'll keep that one connection open and optimize it and everything. And then we'll have the different apps talk to us and we will relay those in notifications on to the app itself. Kind of an ingenious idea given the, the constraints of you know hardware and bandwidth at the time too, I think. Um, but it is a, an interesting situation to then start to tap into that ecosystem, right? And of course, like Android... They came out with something not too too far after Apple, cloud to device messaging, right? C2DM, which became Google Cloud Messaging, GCM, which is kind of still a thing, I think, but they wrap yeah, it on Firebase you now. You can't use it anymore. You have to be yeah. on Firebase now. So, so there's yeah, been an evolution of it all, right? The, Android kept changing the, the, the game on us. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And there was some quirky things too, like if you had your app identifier... I think for a while in Xamarin, it, we had some people who had, you could create your package ID with like a uppercase character. We didn't like not allow that, but there was some weird thing where like C2DM wouldn't work properly if you did that. And it, yeah, it was a bit of a mess. That so, I don't remember, thankfully. 
Oh, so maybe you never me. ran into it. Yeah. Never scared me. So push notifications are obviously not that easy. Um, but you know, like why are they so hard? I, th- well, honestly, go- just going back to that comment I just made about they keep changing the game ever so slightly. So when Apple started, my challenges were like, there was no multilingual. It was basically this small little, I think they, they limited to what, like 140 bytes. It was limited. It was very yeah. limited. Yeah. So you had to work on trimming your message. You know, you, you, you had to stay connected. They didn't like if you kind of do the traditional web, like request response. So you connect, send data, disconnect. They, they hated that, right? They'd start yeah. throttling you. So certainly the server side started off complex um, for Apple. But as we look nowadays, it's, you're right. It's such a, it's still kind of complicated because there's still so much boilerplate uh, you know, you have to get a key from Apple. Thank God they've made that easier too. Like it's not, yeah, you still it's, check it by an app, but you don't have to create your certificate for dev, your certificate for app store and a certificate for push. Like you have just one key now that does push for all apps. But you still have to have like the entitlement in your app and everything. Right. So well, I guess like part of this is, you know, the classic, like if you want to target every single platform with your app, like you've got to learn all the nuances of each individual platform and how it works differently. And, and to an extent, you know, I think there's, there's been multiple attempts. I mean, push sharp was my attempt at abstracting that concept away a little bit in terms of of talking server server to server. Right. But like, yeah, for the client app part of it, it's, it's all shades of different between platforms. And so I don't know, maybe we want to talk. We're just at the, the, the portals, right. We're not even at, the apps like we're talking about just right just the setup configuration right so so we're we've covered apple right so we've got these different certificates we've got the provisioning profile and entitlements i'm, I'm pretty sure everybody at this point has probably dealt, dealt with apple entitlements so it's not really unexpected not too foreign yeah yeah i mean you still um, have to know when you could be in developer versus production right like right yeah uh, and so that was distinguished you know for like they did they still distinguish that difference for push notifications is that yep. true um yep. so you have like ad hoc and development or sorry development is like its own thing and then they're like how do those tie back to the different provisioning profile types right like cuz can you send to can you send production push notifications on like an ad hoc provisioning profile i think you can i don't think so anymore if i remember correctly that used to start stop or it's used to fail during builds. Like it was like, oh, you're trying to use developer, but you're on a production, like an app store set okay. build. And they would be like, uh uh-huh, no. And if they don't block it on builds anymore, I'm pretty sure they still block it on the the release to app store when you when you go to test flight. So what is that mapping then? Like what when do I when do I use production? Like what are the two types, I guess? Like there's two APNS types, they call them, right? Apple push notification service. Yep. So they have developer and they have production. Okay. Um Basically, if you're debugging, you're using developer. If you're releasing, you're using production. They don't, I, I mean, I really wish they just do it by the, the the provisioning profile that we're using or the release setup and change it for us. Yeah, because it feels kind of weird to try and like do the, the cognitive thing of mapping, okay, which one am I using? Right, but they don't. Um, and you I have to specify that you. in the entitlement too, right? Like which one you're using when you build the app. Is Is that still the case? Yes, that and that's what we're talking about really it's those keys that go into the entitlements right it, it i feel like it's something that they should remove but maybe it's a case of legacy that's just been brought along and it's you having to knowingly do it the case is that it's not always 
obvious. You have, you, you yeah. know, your build starts failing when you switch to an ad hoc profile and you're like, why? And you have to go through the logs and go, oh, you don't like that entitlement. Thank you. Okay. So I, I have my, my provisioning profiles. I have my entitlement set up. Like, you know, what's the next thing for Apple that I do in my, my app? Um, well, that's that there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, right? There's, there's some hooks you got to get into your app delegate. Um, obviously you got to make sure your app IDs match up from, from the client side, actually on, on iOS, it's pretty easy once you've got those entitlements, right? Um, how you handle it's a big different story. We won't go into that just yet. Um, but for the most part, the boilerplate's what three or four methods you got. Yeah, get so you, you call like register for no, for receiving notifications, right? And yep. you can t- tell it what types of notifications, right? Because there's different types of notifications, right? You're going down that rabbit hole, aren't you? Oh, so there's so many different. And they keep holes changing to that one too. I don't even think <laughs> I know all of them anymore, but there is a ton. They've got like GPS requests so you could ping and ask for a GPS coordinates. I'm like, oh man, we are going down some wild rabbit holes there. Um, and then, and then once you get that, like when you register for notifications, if that works, you get a token back. Right. And that's kind of yep. a unique identifier, a unique token for sending notifications to that device, that app instance on that device, I guess. Right. Correct. And, and the funny part about it is again, Apple does their own thing. So it comes in as this kind of byte array right. type thing that we have to encode special to send it back to our server. Right. So, right. And so that's the key. When you talk to Apple server and say, deliver this message for me, and you say, deliver it to this token, right? Yep. Yep. And, and then and you so also have like, to line it up with your key and the app, the bundle IDs and all that right. stuff. There's just so much information you have to give. It's good though, because you could really spam the spam your users if you do it wrong. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you want to make sure that, you know, you've got like, then it's up to you to kind of figure out how do I relate that back to, you know, a user account or something, right? So you have to start developing that relationship then and presumably store that token on your own server somewhere so that you know how to look up, okay, when this, whatever happens, I can get this token and I, I know that, you know, I want to send a message to this user and this user has this set of tokens associated with it. Yep. Yeah, and um, that's that's another thing Apple doesn't do tagging of a user. So we'll get into what that is. That's more on the Firebase side, but yeah, and and so with Apple, when you have notifications, like when I go to then send one, and and we don't have to get into the details of service server just yet, but when I do send one, like what what what's the life cycle that happens on iOS at that point? Like the notification goes to the to the device, and then. What do I do, do? They still show the 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 pop up for you. Like, do you have to specify that in the notification payload? Um, you is it? Yeah, Apple side. No, Apple side. You don't really get a say. Um, you can say if it's priority or not, which overrides a whole bunch of stuff. Um, if you're allowed to do that, right? So, um, that's a new permission set that you have to do with Apple and say like, this this app can can take the real time. Um notifications like a permission most of the time people turn that off like if they've got that new mode where you can say i want complete silence like don't bug me right you still want certain apps to be able to override it so you can set that up um but the the general process when you send it to apple is they'll stick it in a queue right because my device may not have connectivity um maybe i've got it turned off but what it'll do is or if my battery's low that's another big one if my battery's low it's it kind of waits until I wake up the phone and then pulls that queue in. And then Apple, I think, hangs onto those push notifications. I think 
48 hours is the max now. Um, but again, that's kind of a, the, the game changing on us all the time. Yeah. And, and like, that's a whole other thing too, right? You don't really have control ultimately of when those get delivered to the, the device, like that you're kind of at the mercy of Apple just to do the, the thing as best that they can do. Yep. And, and and the fun part is too, is that Apple really kind of dictates how so many things on top of that, right? Like if you're doing, well, we haven't gotten into the silent background, but that was one right. you were mentioning to me. If, if you want to push notification to kind of kick your app alive, so do something in the background without, I don't want to say without your user knowing, but certainly it's like, go get data. Like not from the showing them a banner that says like, there's a thing, right? Like that's the right. standard, I think, notification, right? Where it, you send a notification, there's like a, a, you get to choose in the app, you know, as a user, how, how it displays, I think mostly, but you can have something pop up, you click the notification, it opens your app. And at that point, your app's active anyway, and it can kind of gets that call in the app delegate that says, hey, we were open from a notification, or you can discern that anyway yourself, right? And yep. see the data that came along with it. But if if you wanted just to have silent data, like let's say like you've got a sync system that says, hey, user, you've got new data. I want you to mm -hmm. pull it into your local database. Um, so they've got this content available thing, right? So it's good for syncing your app up before the user opens their phone. Right. So it's all done and when they open it up and everything's, you know, new and shiny right. there. Yeah. And they do, they do that so that you can have like beyond the chat message, right? So we think of push notifications. It's like a poor man's signal R, which is, yeah. you know, there's this data involved here. So content available is this thing Apple invented to say like, Hey, we just want this, there, there's content. You need to wake up the app as well. So it's not just the notification that the, the OS deals with now it's wake the app up, give it a few seconds to do whatever the heck it's going to do and go away. Now, some people go crazy with this stuff. This is, this is one I see continuously in shiny people complaining, well, you know, I'm sending these silent notifications and they stop, I stop getting them. Right. So Apple likes it. If you only do that a few times an hour. So on average, I've seen my testing, I usually get four, maybe five if I'm lucky. But if you're sending a lot of these silent notifications, maybe to keep your app alive, Apple starts throttling you, right? Yeah, they're like, they, we know what you're trying to do. Don't, yeah. don't do that. Yeah, don't murder the user's battery. They'll let you do notifications as much as you want, mostly, right? Like you mm -hmm. can just spam them. But if you're trying to keep that app alive with kind of silent notifications, they'll start throttling you, which means... They just won't send the message. Like, it's not like they delay it. It's just they it's just stop gone. sending. And they don't really give you an error, right? It's like <laughs> one of those things you have to read back later. Because um, Apple's good about that. It's asynchronous, right? So they'll be like, yeah, it's pending. So when you send a notification, they're like, sure, the data's all good. But we'll tell you right. later if it's sent. Yeah. So you, you, the server on the request response, like we're like a lot of .NET developers are used to, it says, yeah, yeah, that's good. But really, it's not. It silently fails. So... That's a, that's and, a thing that people have to be aware of, right? And even when they get, like, let you get through, right? Like you, you mentioned briefly, but I don't know if anybody would have really caught it. Like you're given a limited kind of amount of time and, and, yeah. you know, resources, I guess, to, to say, to actually do any execution too. Right. And then if you're like being a really good citizen, you have to call back there. You have to invoke their callback and tell them, oh, I used to, maybe this isn't the case anymore, but it used to be that you'd have to say like, yeah, no, I, I'm done what I'm doing, but, and I actually did something or nah, nothing was new anyway. So I didn't really do anything. 
Oh yeah, from the from the client side, yeah, you have to say if new data was presented or not, right? Right, which I, is really the, sure. presumably they're trying to use that to help kind of throttle, you know, background. That might be, I might be conflating that a bit with just pure background, um, like scheduled background no, tasks still or whatever. That okay. parameter's still there. It's it's kind of like their async. It's more about their async process, right? So you can say you're done, mm -hmm. right? Because you you're going to go off to the server. Most people try and go off to the server. Uh, and probably pull that data, right? Because you're right. sure as heck not going to ship a lot of data and a push notification, even though you've got a lot of data to work with now. Um, most of the time, you still have to pull, like you're going to go out, make an HTTP request, pull that data back, and then tell Apple, yeah, it's good, right? Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I think everybody cheats that and just goes, yeah, yeah, there was new data. Yeah, oh, yeah of course there was. There's I'm, new I'm data. Good. This it's was good. worth it. Don't don't throttle me. The, the challenge is, is that they only give you so much time to work. Like Apple's very harsh right that used to be four seconds and that's people think oh yeah i could make a server call in that time but you got some if your app just woke up there's a dns resolution yeah you might and have maybe to, you're on like some kind of not great signal you know cellular network where a request just takes time yep maybe because it's an authenticated request you have to redo your re your uh, jwt right. token then you have to get the data if you're doing a sync process, sometimes there might be a lot of data. Like maybe my phone's been asleep for two weeks and all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's a lot of data. And you start to pull it and you can't do it in that time frame. So it used to be about four seconds. I think they give you more closer to 10 now. So if you can't get that done in 10 seconds, it's probably a little bit of an architectural problem, but still yeah. something to consider. I tend to uh, push it off to like a background job now. Because background jobs, Apple gives you like 30 seconds, up to a minute and 30 if you want to request more time. So the push notification is more, you need to do something. So yeah. I'll flag it. I need to do something and then come back later with a background job. And and that, I, like, I think, you know, as we unfold some of this, like, that's where a lot of the complexity just starts to come in, right? Because on, we're, we've only talked about iOS so far, right? Yeah. And, and already we're talking about okay, there's a special notification. And if it comes in, you know, you have some time to do something, but maybe you actually want to do a whole background task. And that's a whole other very platform specific mechanism that we're talking about doing. And so suddenly you've, you're be you're way beyond the, you know, cross-platform, you know, happy place of coding at, at this point. Right. And, and so, you know, we'll have more conversations. I think of other parts of shiny too, when we get into background tasks and that and services and things, but um, you know, even push notifications, there's some commonalities between platforms, but like, there's a lot that just isn't quite one-to-one -one mapped the same, which I think also makes it challenging Correct. from an implementation standpoint. And, and it certainly makes it challenging for something like shiny oh. to even try to implement in a cross-platform way. I mean, we'll get into what shiny does. I, I feel not to kick shiny or anything, but I feel it's minor and we'll talk about what it does specifically that helps people. Um, but for the most part, I think it's the small part of the, the overall picture. It's really, it's really these nuances about the platforms that really tend to cause the most issues for people. Yeah. Um, and I know as we talk about, so there's these, a, a lot of third parties like Azure notification hubs and, mm -hmm. oh, cripes, there's been tons of them over the years. I can't even count. Hawk, did hockey app have push? Oh, they might've at one point. Yeah. They're. Yeah, I can't even remember all the other ones. Yeah, there was quite a few that this was like their business, right? Because and because it was so challenging to talk to the different services, right? Know, make businesses we'll, out of it. Maybe we'll get to that after we talk to Android. Is we'll talk about what those services are yeah. actually doing for people because they do a lot, and mm -hmm. you don't quite realize it. But 
it's mostly server. Like I said, the client side is a little bit easier other than um, the one thing that Shiny does to you, which we'll cover at the end of this. Okay, so we, we I think we've done a, a decent job of the iOS, at least the you know, client side kind of part of it and configuration. So Android, you Android. Know, what, what does that look like? Android, well, first of all, I want to say John and I generally tend to have a love-hate relation. Well, I do with iOS too, just more with Android. Yeah. They kind of do some things me. better, right, than the other. And you're just like, why can't you be more like your sibling Android or why can't you be more like iOS? Well, the, the trick with Android is you don't know if it's a service or a, a broadcast receiver or a foreground service these days. Like it, They just keep changing that one. And then I swear to God, every release, they do a new permission, right? Yeah. So the trick, let's start, I guess, with the portal on the Android side, because that's the first one is. Yeah. Android has what? Three portals that you need to deal with for the most part. You have to deal with the Google Play Store console Mm -hmm. to just release an app. You have to deal, and I guess Apple has that too. Fine. You have to deal with the Google developer portal. Right, and to then, set up like your server key and stuff for the API. You know, application. Yeah, the API, yeah. And then you have to deal with the Google Firebase console, which is yet another thing. And it's, for me, even to date, it's still chaos, right? So you're still flipping. So not only has Android changed the game between, what was the what was it called before Google Cloud Messaging? Cloud to device messaging. Yeah. C2DM. So, oh, wow, you got that one. It's right off the top of your head, man. I oh, can't yeah. even remember it anymore. So they've they've changed the picture on us three times. Um, and I've heard Firebase, there's rumblings that they might yet still change that yeah. again in the near future, which I sure as heck hope they don't. And, and, and to like be clear as well, Firebase almost adds like another level of, if you're dealing with cross-platform, if you're also de- dealing with iOS, like I also see a lot of confusion between... Yep. I want to do notifications to iOS. Um, therefore I must need to use Firebase cloud messaging to do that. And it's like, well, you, you can, but it's another, you know, it's, it's more like a provider. Like we'll talk about like Azure yep. or something right at that point. Um, yep. and, and you would, you would think that maybe using Firebase both places would get you like more consistency between things, but I don't think that's the case either. So no, it you know, doesn't really, when you get into Firebase, like console developer console you know don't be fooled by like oh there's the ios part of it like you can certainly use that but that's not you know that's a different thing too yeah and and i think that that's one of the big confusions that still happens right these providers you don't really need them on the client right so we'll we'll speak to that that's that's for sure so the other thing about android the the android notification is super rich in what it can do um, but you only get a subset of that for your push notification payload, right? You can't really do, I think they let you do most of it, but certainly far from all of it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is the raw amount of boilerplate, right? Like you still need the, you still need access to an activity at some point. You still need, you still need to wire in Firebase and they've got like that JSON file that you have to download and you have to kind of specially build that in. Yeah. There's like the configuration file and and you have to set you know, every time you're you're going not like the native platform language and tool tooling for development, you know, it adds kind of a bit more, I want to say complexity, but it's not always the easiest to understand. Like, okay, now I download this Google services JSON file. Like, what do I do with it? Right. And, and right. in terms of a Maui app or a Xamarin app, um, and we do, we, you know, we built 
like the build actions or whatever for this forever ago. So you can include it in your project that way, but it's maybe not obvious always to everyone. Cause there's not a ton of tutorials or whatever. I guess they just have to follow the shiny one and it'll tell them to do it. Well, and, and that's the cool thing too, is you don't really need that complicated build step either. You can pass Firebase, the variables. It's just, you have to go into that JSON file. Get pull it. Out, and then their terminology doesn't always match one-to-one between the JSON file and what their API is defined as. So it's, it's a, it's a bit of trickery, um, but it does work, right? So there's, there's just all this stuff that you have to set up in Android. And then there's how it deals with intents, right? So when you, when you press on the, the notification, it's not as intuitive as the Apple SDK, you know, it's, it's, you have to mark your, your, your activity that it's going to receive mm-hmm. that intent. You had to broadcast that intent from the server. It's just, I don't and, know, and man. I'm not sure what they were thinking when they made it, to be honest. Do, do you still need to, like, I, I know um, not that long ago, but I've obviously forgotten all the stuff that I did with it when I was kind of playing around with Maui apps and getting Android notifications working and just kind of proving out that, you know, I think we had somebody concerned that, Hey, I'm not getting, you know, when I kill the app and this is another yeah. thing too, right? Like I'm not getting the notifications. Um, but then even when they're like, when the activity goes to the background, I'm also not getting the notifications. Yep. So like you have to do some special things depending on how you want to be able to receive those. Is that, you know, that the case still, if you swipe it away, it's a service, right? So services in, uh, especially the Firebase one, because they, they control that. I think the mm-hmm. Firebase stuff is still improving too. But when you swipe it away, it does take time before it either wakes up. You usually have to open the app again yourself. Um, there's certain things you can do, like receive boot intent to get it wound back up. So if the phone reboots or you can kind of get it going again. But for the most part, if your user swipes it away, you know, tough luck, you're going to have to, you just have to deal with it. It's it's basically like they silenced it. Well, yeah, and I was going to say, I think that at some point, you know, I remember going to like a Google I.O. And, and sitting in some session about push notifications and Firebase and like them talking about that being rather intentional too. like if yeah. a user is force killing your app, it's like, well, I don't want this. So go yep. away. Apple does that to an intent, too, but they'll eventually wake it back up. Right. So if you if you're sending enough notifications, eventually they'll say, like, listen, either silence it in the notification settings right? or we're waking it back up. So I think when the swipe away, it usually goes away for an hour or two, um, but then it'll kind of get itself going again by Apple's will, not yours. <laughs> yeah. And, and I seem to recall on Android as part of looking at this, um, there were differences in, you know, how the notification was received depending on the activity state as well. Like if your activity was in the foreground, I forget the path, but they didn't show like the the pop-up notification in the system at that point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's still, it, you have to, you have to include the notification payload and kind of say how it's going to work. Um, so I think that's what you were ap- asking for the Apple side of things. Yeah. Um, it is still a thing for Android, um, but for the most part, you can do it in the notification payload. You just have to be very intentful on what you're doing intentful nice pun android intense it's it sticks with you unfortunately the the intent that that's like the biggest hang-up is trying to remember all the stuff and like the intent filters and how you broadcast oh it's it's just i don't know what they were thinking with android some days it's like well how did we get here so what what else 
what what other complications did, haven't we touched on with Android? Like we, I think permissions was something we we started talking about. So, oh, the permissions is a good one. Um, like I said, Android thirteen they added like this post notifications. So they finally made it so you had to ask your user permission first to be able to do notifications to actually register to receive them. Yeah, which right. has been and, iOS has been like that forever, right? Right, and it makes sense. I was like, why wouldn't you ask that on both? And but it was always like there was a flag on Android that you could say are notifications enabled, right? So they were, it was more of a whitelisting than a blacklisting. And now it's like you ask permission, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know why they didn't do it from the start, but it created a bit of a havoc play because now all of a sudden you're like, okay, uh, what changed? So I feel like when we do iOS releases, I know you tend to freak out a lot more about the big releases, rightfully so, right? Because UI always seems to be where they, the native yeah. controls start to kick. So I feel like Android's probably not as bad there because of Android X. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that's probably partially true. Yeah. Right. Uh, so but the, yeah, like permissions has been the big one, right? And that that bit us, you know, even recently with with Maui, I actually like the, the Maui service release that's coming out has some fixes specifically for some permission changes that happened on the newest version of Android, right? And yep. it's like you used to be able to like call the connectivity APIs um, a certain way. Maybe it wasn't permissions sp- specifically, but it was like broadcast receiver yeah. uh, type stuff. And it's just like, yeah, every release, there's something that changes there. And the thing is, is that the call is not, it's deprecated, but it's not removed. So you don't actually know it fails until right. you test it. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that that's helpful. So I almost feel like the iOS doesn't break you. Um, UI well, the iOS breaks the UI more than yeah. Android, but Android breaks the back end more than iOS. So it's and, like, and this seems to be like and I think I I said this on on our last episode or maybe the first one, uh, just about how like they they kind of are like working towards the the middle ground of being you know the same to an extent, right? Like Android keeps adding more permissions where we just talked about iOS already had permissions for those types of of situations, and so they're making right. things more and more restrictive as they go on. To kind of match up i will say this though that that android the one thing android has going for it is it's still a lot easier to once you get all that boilerplate which you can usually document it's so much easier to set up for push believe it or not once you get through the three portals and all that stuff yeah and all the api keys and all that crap once you get that out of the way it's generally easier like it just works whereas ios you got to kind of scratch your head and go oh i have the wrong key or oh i'm passing the wrong bundle and oh my app is signed with production right like and they don't really give you failures because like i said it's asynchronous right you you don't know that it fails and you have to go in and read logs and so i i will say that that it's easier to set up ios but it's a lot harder to tell the problems um once you're through android it just kind of works and that's that's the nice part so so with, with android too like i i'm i know we talked a little bit about you know services and activities like what what is the setup there? Does when the notification comes in, can you choose if you want it to route directly to an activity? Like, can you put your I don't know? Are you registering an intent filter? How does that all get set up? So you do that from the server, right? If you want it to open, because a lot of the cases it's done from the notification payload. Mm-hmm. So the notification payload, if your app is in the background, you have no control over it. It's just going to flow, right? So the OS is going to take care of it. And is the OS by default then just going to open up your main launcher activity? 
um, if you don't specify an intent from the server. So that's okay. That's so you can one. put an intent like in the notification payload right. to tell it what to do. Actually, yeah. Okay. So it's it's you you have to have that relationship between your app and your backend. So shiny, I have like a forced one that this is the key you have to use. I I might open that up in the future, but right now it's like this is the constant. Put this everywhere. Put it on your server if you want to use it. You got to do it for both ends, right? And then that way I can register and and kind of deal with the, the cross platform there. Yeah, but we'll get into that. But yeah, the yeah. intent has to come from your server, which means it has to have knowledge of your app, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah, is always kind of that weird mixing of like it's almost like mixing your UI and business logic, right? That's like to a degree. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into the philosophicals <laughs> of that one. It's hard to say. It 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 kind of makes sense, and it's kind of annoying at the same time, right? I I, I don't know what the best way to what the best way is to say it. It is annoying. So does that mean that you can also then, if I can specify like the intent on the the payload itself, can I also then send, you know, these kind of background silent notifications like we were talking about on iOS? So iOS has that content available and then it has the the data payload as well. With Android, it's basically you can send both. And if you negate one, then the other one just is used. So if I send just data, right, it'll, it'll work. Now they don't tend to... I mean, I've never broken it per se. They don't tend to throttle those silent notifications like Apple does. Right. Um, don't quote me on that because, you know, that could start tomorrow. That's that's the challenge. But they have that concept of silent notification um, that wakes up your app and says, here's the data, right? And as it is too, like I said, if you send notification data and data data, mm-hmm. right, in your payload, um, if your app is in the background, they don't give you the notification payload to read even though it's been sent. I know that's confusing. If your app's in the foreground, they give you both. Why? Uh, I don't know. They just decided that was a good idea, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's strange. But but I can still build like my you know service or whatever that right. can receive those in the background and wake up and do whatever I need. Right. Uh, and, and usually for the most part, that those data payloads are pretty small. It's more or less a kick to get your app going. Um, that's why I think Apple just said content available is one. And if you must yeah. put, like maybe you want to pull a certain work order or something as an example, right? You could include the ID or a chat message or whatever. Um, normally I just don't. I, I say give me a delta of everything that's changed. It's usually the easiest, but teach his own, however you want to architect it, I guess. So does that cover, you know, the Android client side of things? Are we missing any any kind nope. of gotchas or, or info? I mean, we might be, but that thing might be pretty good. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's just boilerplate. It's just understanding the platforms. And then mm-hmm. the most, most of the work is done on the server, right? That's where all the complexity lies and certificates and uh, all that stuff that you don't want to learn about, but you have to, you have to know the platform nuances. Like I said, the big gotchas, that's the stuff I like to cover. Cause that's where people always get yeah uh, trip over, right? Like yep. the iOS throttling. If you didn't know about it, you'd be like, it stopped working. Yeah, there's there's no indication. So how, yeah, how do you know? It's a bug in the library. No, yeah, it's not. Exactly. It's a um, bug in the Apple. It's a, it's a worm <laughs> in the Apple. Oh, I get it a lot for Shiny. People are like, it stopped working. Well, no. <laughs> it's, it, it worked. In a, it, it, this is how Apple works. And get used to it. So does, does Shiny uh, handle any of the server-to-server aspect of notifications? Or do you just leave that up to you know the Azures and Firebase providers of the world? 
I do have a library that does it. Now it's based around um, kind of how I deal with it, like user registration and tagging, mm -hmm. right? So it removes like the need for Azure notification hubs and, and Firebase to a degree. Um, and it, it allows me, it's probably pretty complex for most, but it allows me to customize the notification per user. It allows me to kind of run it off in a background process so that, because sometimes you may have one message that triggers like a thousand notifications. And that's the other thing. A lot of people think, oh, well, I have to send one notification. I need it to be easy. But as your app starts to get bigger, you know, like I said, you might be sending that message to a thousand users, right? So I, I tend to work with a lot of ambulatory services and hospitals, at least mm -hmm. in my past. And they would send out notifications to like hundreds of, of ambulances within a, you know, a GPS set of coordinates. And the device would respond, yeah, I'm good. Or no, I'm not in that area, right? So that doesn't happen in, you know, a three second window of an HTTP request. You have to kind of background it, right? Yeah. And yeah. this is where a lot of services like Azure Notification Hubs and Firebase, those those services kind of do it for you, right? So one of the things they also add is tagging, right? So you may want to tag a certain groups on users and say, send it to all these tags. iOS doesn't have that concept, right? It's so just, does Android support that like yeah, at the, yes. the notification level? So I can send a notification to a tag and yep. everything, every thing I've registered to that tag is going to get it. Exactly. So I don't, so that's, I don't have to send one to each person. Okay. Right. So that's like Fire, Firebase has that. And that's why a lot of people tend to use Firebase on iOS, iOS as, well. as well. Okay. But now we're talking at a provider level versus like a platform level, right? Right. So Firebase, so Firebase for is iOS is handling that for you on their servers. They're exactly. still sending, you know, all the notifications to Apple. And you still need the native token from Apple to register. Like that's, that's the thing. All these providers, like there's, there's got to be a hundred of them out there. They just keep coming and going, right? Um, that's what they're doing. They're building an easy server layer. You still have to do the Apple and Firebase setups and give them the keys, right? But then you, you send them using... like, "Hey, I here's my token. Uh, here's the tag I want you to associate it with," and then I can tell them server to server, right? You know, use the tag. So, like in the past, when I've done this, I've made like a user ID as a tag. Is that you know a, a reasonable thing to do with with some of these providers? You so can. like I I don't want to track myself the the devices associated with it. So I'm just like, "Hey, Azure." I have this device token, here's the user ID tag I want, and then I just kind of let them deal with it. Absolutely, you can. Um, a lot of people do that, and they might stick certain roles on it too, right? So to mm -hmm. say, so for instance, I've done it like hospital and ambulance, so I'd say send it to all ambulances, send it to hospital, right? And then that's, that's how you do your logical grouping. Mm -hmm. But again, that's at a provider level, right? So your Azure Notification Hubs has that, Firebase has that. It brings it across platform, so... You know, the tags is now built into Apple and to Android, and you have that nice surface level kind of API. And then these providers do lots of little extra neat stuff for you. Um, what is Azure, Notif Azure Notifications has like a message template. So you can do, some, uh, I think, minor bits of logic in it with keys. So are they, they're it's... kind of trying to abstract like how to present the, the notifications across platforms for you in that sense? Is that what that's for? Yeah, and you can do things like with multilingual there that makes it kind of nice. Um, I don't tend to use them myself. Um, I usually know the user's language so that I can tell. That's, again, mm -hmm. one of those things why I have a library that goes through and decides kind of the, the left or right metrics, and there's a lot to it. Keep in mind also that people might have multiple devices. So tags, right. even if you set a user ID, it might 
be multiplicity still. It's not like an individual user, it's multiple. So that's another thing people don't understand, right? Is yeah, I might have the app on my Android device and on my iPad, right? And right. and I want to receive notifications to both. Well, or maybe you, I don't. And I know you have like a ton of phones, so you're going to be running Android 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, right? And you're going to have them all laid out in your desk, logged into the yeah. same account. I send a push and I want to see it on all those devices, right? I'll make my desk shake from all the phones, you know, <laughs> vibrating at the same time. But when when you've got like QA testers, that's what they expect. They expect to see some sort of equivalent on them. So they will test it like that. Um, so that's that's just another thing. Like these providers, they really do a good job of kind of flattening out that API. Right. And, and turning it into something that's kind of easier to use. It removes a lot of that well, pain and as that you would have to code yourself. Yeah, like I mean, and and this was ultimately, you know, where Push Sharp met its demise was that you know talking to these providers isn't easy. We talked about Apple having their binary protocol at first; that was a pain. And let me tell you, so what they would tell you, they would tell you like, fire as many notifications on you know that one socket connection as you can back to back. And like there was you you, it wasn't like a you know fixed length or anything. It was uh, I had to you know, tell you the length of my payload. I sent it off. Um, and then if I remember correctly, that was them framing the packet, right? Was, it, it was, was yeah, it was. And then they wouldn't really tell you when a message queued up failed for queuing up. Like we're not even talking about the delivery part of it, right? It's yeah. the sending it to Apple part and they would just kind of like kill your connection. And I forget exactly the first iteration had no, like, you couldn't get the idea of the message that failed back or something. It was like the worst design ever. There was no confirmation that something worked. They basically said like, and what most libraries did was waited like three to 500 milliseconds to see, you know, from the last sent notification to see if the connection got killed or not to Apple. And only then would you know that like one of the previous, however many, notifications went through. So what I ended up doing, I think I remember now is I would keep like a queue of things I had fired off and I would time those out of the queue. So like if 500 milliseconds happened and my connection still hadn't been broken, those ones were fine. I, you know, quote unquote fine. And then if I got a connection killed, anything that was sitting in that kind of time queue, I would be like, yeah, those probably didn't send because they wouldn't tell you, <laughs> you know, ident identifiers of messages that failed or whatever. I think eventually they enhanced that protocol to add something like that to you give you that information know. back. You now you, know you do that now. it failed. You, you, if it's wrong, like if you sent data that doesn't match up. Right, like a device, bad formatted you know. message, yeah. But you don't necessarily, you have to still follow up later to see if the message actually made it to the device. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or... This is just if it like, Entered Apple's own queue fine or not, right? Right. It, nowadays, so they, people tend to act from the device, right? Yes. Yeah. And and so Apple, you know, that was like their first iteration and that was a pain. But then they moved to an HTTP2 based protocol. And I tried my best to, you know, update Push Sharp to support this. Um, but part of the challenge was like, there is no client library for HTTP2 in .NET at the time that just yeah. didn't exist. So I started writing my own and that's a pretty complicated spec. I got it almost working, but then I ran into, you know, problems with, uh, SSL and, and, um, you know, secure yeah. socket connections and the way that you had to initiate the HTTP2 connection and like C sharp just couldn't do 
what I needed to do to make this work. And so I'm like, okay, you were ahead of your time. We're done. This is it. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. You know, push sharp is no more go use like Azure, you know, notification hubs because one, they, they're doing it for you. And two, like, it's not that expensive to use. Like, don't, this is something just don't roll your own. <laughs> that, that's, that's where we ended up eventually. And I'm, I would imagine if I tried to do it again today, it'd be more successful because hopefully C sharp, you know, .NET, the runtime would have the things I need. Like, I think it would work on windows at the time from a client library perspective, but the, the, you know, SSL stuff just didn't work on like Linux or Mac. And like, there was just no plans to implement it at the time. So I'm like, well, I can't do anything more here. So the funny part is too, is that even though Apple has modernized with HTTP and we now have that, it like the HTTP client works on HTTP two. I think it even yep. works on the new three as well. Like it just works. Um, Apple still has some funky HTTP stuff that they like to use. It's different from everybody else. You know, God forbid the rest of the world does rest and, and these kind of metrics with HTTP, but Apple has to do it just a touch different. Yep. <laughs> so even though it's HTTP, you still have to do some funky things with some weird encryption um, and you still have to do some kind of weirdo headers um, with the Apple request. It's, it's just great. I don't know why they do that, but they did. So are you, you're, so shiny, is it actually talking to Apple? Like, do you have that built in now where you yeah, so, act as the client and you can talk? So to shiny has service? its base kind of push library. And what shiny does is tries to make that cross platform. So I try and get, you have a push manager that says, request me a token. And it'll do stuff like the permission checks for both Android and iOS. It'll ensure that the proper stuff is set off to the servers and that the token comes back kind of solidified. So you get a string from either Apple or Android, and then you can do whatever the heck you want with it. It also, it also kind of centralizes the events. This is what Shiny really does anyways. It centralizes those events in a, in a I call it a delegate because that's what I, Apple does. Mm -hmm. There's a reason I don't use .NET events, but we don't really need to go into that today. So it has this little delegate that says like on it, when you're entering a push notification, do this, right? Here's the data I give you, do something with it. It has the background kind of data, the silent notification that we talked about. Mm -hmm. It has an event for that in the delegate. So you can, you know, read your dictionary of whatever's in there, make an asynchronous call and do whatever, right? And then last but not least, sometimes that token, now this doesn't really happen anymore, but it used to be as your app would wake up and you you check for a notification token to see if it changed. Um, I think Firebase still does it rarely now and again. So they'll say, okay, well, you, you, you know, you're a Firebase user for, for messaging. The token just changed. It's expired, right? Like a JWT, here's your new one. So I had to have an event for that too, because the thing with Shiny is I want to request access to the token when I, usually when I log in and I mm -hmm. want to unregister when I log out. Right. So after I've requested access to a token, I just want this just shiny deal with it. Every time, if there's a token notification, I'm already logged in. So I don't want to write startup checks. So every yeah. time I log in or my app starts, you already have a push notification token, make sure it's still the same. And if it's not fire the delegate and tell the, tell the programmer this changed, call your server, with your JWT, all your stuff and say, here's the new token. So that's one of the things that Chinese does really well. It centralizes all that. The second thing is, is it, it, it makes it so you've got one interface to always work with. So if you want to build Azure notification hubs or Firebase on the device, which I don't generally recommend, 
um, you still can. And it's just another layer that sits on top, right? So regardless of, I think there's one signal and Azure and Firebase, they all still work on the native tokens. Like it's still Firebase. It's still APNS right. underneath. All I do is I say, okay, is there a provider registered? Okay, there is. Here's the tokens. Do as you will with them, right? If you're right. going to call off to Azure, Notification Hub's great. Um, but I, I'm also able to do stuff like, do you support, does this provider support tags and all this other cool stuff? Okay, here's tags for you to use as well. So definitely check it out. It is worth it. Um, if you've done one signal, App Center, that was actually Shiny Push started because of App Center. Um, my, my good friend, our good friend, Dan uh, Siegel, he was, he was like, dude, like you have to keep changing this. And it's really hard to get these permissions. And Android keeps changing on me. He's like, do you know anything to do with Shiny? And I was like, okay, Dan, uh, I will I will try this. And it seems to be pretty popular. People like it. And I use it everywhere. So um, Shiny just makes it all easier. It's one thing to deal with. Yes, there's boilerplate. I can't deal with all of it. I talk with John. John helps me sometimes in the Maui side. And, and there's can. you know things that you've added here and there, and there's there's always like kind of opportunities to try and and make it easier, right? Like I I don't know I, I haven't gone through the shiny uh, tutorial or or you know trying to use it at any time recently. Um, probably should have done that for this show. But John, won't I, I'd use imagine any that open source he builds it all yeah, himself. I, I, I do every it all time. He likes pain. But there's you know especially with stuff like newer stuff in and .NET like I don't know if you're doing any like source generator stuff for any of the boilerplate or if you just kind of have people you know go copy and paste. Um, but there's always opportunities to to make that kind of boilerplate setup a little bit easier. I know you've got your template, uh, you know, master template of everything. Um, so there's that too. Yeah, I do have on the the shinylib.net site. There is like a you pick the libraries you want. It generates all the the boilerplate that you need so you can copy and paste from that okay that's cool um which helps so if you do have an existing project you can bring it in yes the templates will obviously do all that um i was doing source generators the problem is is that it would conflict with like like everybody was fighting for that base app delegate or that base android activity or that base android right. application so it was like I, I couldn't figure out how to play nice with everybody so at some point i was just like you know what i'm just going to tell people what they need I'll document it the best way I can and have at her. There's a sample do, app. Do we not expose enough of those at, at this point in Maui in, in like the lifecycle events to, to hook into? Not yet. And I don't think you ever will be able to because you have to register the intent filter, right? Which is, it's, yeah. a, it's an attribute, right? And on the app delegate, as soon as you expose those exports, so um, push the, the three push, I can't remember the name, the names of them. Yeah. Then iOS starts going, wait, wait wait, you've got those. So that means you need push. And if you send that to, to app, app Store Connect, it'll start going. Right. So once once you this. implement it, it, it's, you know, expecting that it's there. Now we'll have to talk later. There's, there's, there's always ideas. And I know there's some ways you can get around that with like overriding response to selector and stuff on your, your um, Apple types. But um, yeah, for now it sounds like, Hey, I mean, go to the the site and get your code generated and it's easy enough to copy and paste some stuff in. Definitely easier or, you know, no harder than doing the same natively, right? Right. Well, and that's the thing. It's, as good as source generators are, when you try and do too much of the magic, good luck supporting that in open source. It's so hard. And source generators, I mean, John and I have worked on a couple of them together, and it's so hard to tell what's going on or where the failures are going, and, and how do you communicate that? So 
if if it's a singular purpose, it's usually easy enough to describe. But like the first in version two of Shiny, I had a source generator that was doing the base application, mm-hmm. the activity, the app delegate, as well as like a startup. And there was just always something where people were like, I don't want it to do this. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Fine, just copy and paste it. Yeah, we I had looked early on at you know source generating, like even for a Maui template app, right? The new new Maui app. We include like an app delegate already. We include the main activity. And so we had talked about at one point, do we want to just source generate those in if you don't have them? But yeah, like you're saying, you run into all of these cases where like, okay, um, I guess we can try and do it only when, you know, you haven't implemented your own and try to detect that. And then, you know, what happens if you don't uh, call the right methods in your own things? And it's, yeah, it's all, all of these challenges to overcome. So maybe that's uh, a little bit uh, too extreme still to try and tackle. But I mean, you think about XAML is done through source generators and it works there because it's singular purpose, right? But yeah. you still have to deal with all those issues. Like why didn't the XAML generate properly or why wasn't there an error, right? Mm-hmm. That's an ongoing thing for you guys, right? Yeah. So it just, they solve problems, but they also create them as well. It's just never exactly. Ending. Well, I think um, our plugin package and product of this episode is a pretty easy one that people might already have guessed. Um, but I, I'm going to call out shiny, particularly the shiny push you know, functionality as, as my pick this week, because, um, that's what we've been talking about. And I think I've seen enough people, you know, starting to get into like, how do I add push to my apps? Um, one interesting thing I was talking with a friend in the area who is using uh, blazer and Maui, like a, a Maui blazer hybrid app, um, where they're coming from the world of most of their stuff is blazer and they're just sticking it in the app right now. And that's cool. It's a Maui app, but it's all blazer content. But the next thing that they're looking at is starting to do stuff like, okay, I do want to add push notifications to my app. Uh, I want to add all this kind of stuff. And so we're starting to see more people, you know, even if they're coming from that world of like, Hey, I have the blazer stuff that I'm just sticking in a Maui shell. Um, but, but I start want to start adding these features. In. And so I think it's, uh, you know, a, a thing we'll see more and more of, and, and certainly anything that we can have people go you know, try out and use to make their life easier and setting this all up is, is obviously uh, going to put more people on the path to success. So, um, that is our plugin package and product of the week. Uh, have we missed anything on notifications? Oh, probably it's, it's like probably a three, lots. three episode talk, but I think we covered the bigs, the big and, stuff. And I, exactly. And, and I would say too, like if, if you're listening, if you have more questions, you know, reach out to us. Uh, if you go to gonemobile.io, you can hit us up on the various things that we have. You know, there's, there's threads, there's X, there's SpeakPipe. You can leave us a voice message. There's our email address, uh, show at gonemobile.io. Send us a, a email and we'll maybe do a follow-up episode if, you know, if there's enough, you know, interest and stuff we haven't covered on, on more push notification stuff, or at least answer some questions there. Um, and also, you know, if you like the show, please, uh, subscribe apple Podcasts, leave us a review uh we should be everywhere that you get your podcasts and uh yeah thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the gone mobile io podcast